Welcome to another episode of the You Thought Podcast. This is Jared, and this is a solo show. This one's my first one. Let's see how it goes. This episode is going to be focused on the intersection of sports and video games. It's going to be sports in the virtual world. Um, it's not going to be just about esports, by the way. It'll be especially accessible to people that don't know anything about esports. Um, but it won't be just about esports. So let's get into it. If you want, basically, if you want to make entertainment that's always going to sell, it's going to be competition. People love competition and they love play. That's why game shows are still popular. That's why sports, I think, have such longevity. People like competition. Audiences, audiences want the same thing, only a little bit different. It's called the intersection of the general and the particular, where each game has the same set of rules, but wildly different results. Like when you look at the longest running shows, game shows and live sports are usually at the top of the list behind new shows and late night shows. And when you think about it, popular movie franchises do the same thing. Like the Avengers gives you the same thing, only a little different. You know what you're going to expect. Now let's look at video games becoming a rising giant. In fact, they've pretty much have already arrived. They've already, I think, slain the film and music industry. They make twice the revenue of the film and industry music combined, which is crazy. Um, when you think about the fact that Grand Theft Auto V has sold 130 million copies, each for like 50 to $60 a piece, it, it makes sense. And think of how many hours you get to a game com- get with a game compared to a film or TV show. Um, when you look at the breakdown between mobile, PC, and console, I mean, people forget we have a gaming device in our pockets in a smartphone. Estimates for uh, the 2020 game revenue show that mobile will have the largest chunk, which it always has, at $77 billion, with console and PC right behind, um, for a combined of like around $180 billion, which is pretty crazy um, on the high end. Another thing that um, makes games so popular that this is something that Matthew Ball talks about, if you look at his website, it's very informative, is that games are scalable. So you can spend... 100 plus hours with the Call of Duty brand or the Skyrim brand but you can't really spend 100 plus hours with his example was The Incredibles it'll get boring if you're trying to watch The Incredibles 2 for 100 plus hours I I would be willing to bet you most people have not spent 100 hours watching a movie or TV show I don't know have you maybe if you said The Office I might believe that but you, I, I've, I know for sure I've put probably a hundred hours into Skyrim. I think I've probably done that, but not into any individual TV show um, or film property or even film franchise, really. Um, games, video games haven't really slain television technically, because gamers do play video games for seven hours and seven minutes a week on average. Some people might, I'm sure, some people probably think that sounds low. That number's according to Forbes. But think about the fact that we watch three to five hours of TV per day. And the gamers do it seven hours a week on average. Um, This still is an increase of 20% from last year in terms of gaming hours. The most common game type, by the way, was casual single-player games. Um, The second was first-person shooters. Battle Royale was fifth in most common game types. Um, So I don't think games will ever completely slay TV because TV is so all-encompassing. You can't separate professional sports from TV, and you can't separate esports from TV. Like when you think of it, Twitch is twitch.tv. It's television. It's just a little different form. 
Um, but when you really look at it again, sports and video game ecosystems kind of replicate the same package. And they're, I think they're competing for the similar audiences. We all have a finite amount of hours that we can put to entertainment. Um, but let's look at why sports and video games in their most abstract forms are similar. Is that um, you can engage with sports and video games in so many ways. You can play them yourself, right? You can play football yourself. You can play a video game yourself. Uh, you can watch other people play them. Usually you're watching people because they're better than you. That's with traditional sports and esports. You can go see a competitive event in person or watch on TV. You can buy merchandise for your favorite sports teams, your favorite video game franchise, even your favorite video game team now. There's online journals and analysis for both sports and video games. So basically for both mediums, you can play it, watch it, read about it. You can you can live it. They're both all-encompassing. And because video games are participatory, that's why they're such a real threat, I think, to the same audiences that enjoy sports. Because you play sports, and when you play sports at an early age, you're going to watch sports at an older age. But if you're playing, if you're groomed to play video games at a young age, are you going to be watching video games when you get to the older age? Um, obviously, when you get to an older age, you play both. You can play both still. Um, one thing that's unique about both sports and video games, I think, um, or at least unique between from that distinguishes video games from film and music is that they achieve like a cultural critical mass or like hype, basically. Matthew Ball talks about this again, is that for video games, you need to play the video game that your friends are playing. If, if you're playing an online game, that's going to be the best experience is the one that all your friends are playing. Um, in sports, you need to watch the Super Bowl to be able to comment, comment on it and be knowledgeable. Ch TV achieves this cultural critical mass. Like when you think about it, it felt like everyone was watching Tiger King or it felt like everyone was watching Game of Thrones and to like participate in like the water cooler discussions as Matthew Ball puts it. You need to have like per to be able to participate in like pop culture society. You should be knowledgeable about those things where like a movie, it doesn't really achieve that sense of urgency to go see it um, because many people will just say, I'll wait until it's streaming, you know. There's some differences, of course, though, between sports and video games. Video games are dependent on the limitations of technology. Sports are dependent on the limitations of the human body. So I think video games, as they evolve, possibly might have the edge there. Um, barriers to entry are admittedly pretty high in video games when you think about it. So if you're trying to play a video game, you need to buy a $500 console or computer. When they first come out, they're obviously pretty expensive. But to be excellent at the game, you just have to pour in hours, you know, and then barriers to entry in sports can be high in like a different way. So for example, to play just to play basketball, you just need a ball and a hoop, and you can play it by yourself and have fun. Football, give me a ball and at least two people, and you can play it, have some fun and practice. But to really be excellent at the sport, especially like travel sports like basketball and baseball, it's you gotta pay five hundred dollars for this weekend baseball camp, or pay three thousand dollars to play baseball over the summer. Like bar financial barriers to entry can be high with sports as well. So this these all kind of just lead into like key questions of the intersection of like sports in the virtual world is, let's say our, in 20 years, are kids going to, when they want to pretend to be LeBron or the next big athlete, are you going to play outside and try to dunk on your small hoop or make some sick shots? Or are you going to recreate the catch or the, the dunk in NBA 2K? Is that you're going to want to do it in the virtual world or in the real world? And I'm not just talking about like sports video games against real life sports. 
I'm talking about Fortnite versus sports as well because they're different. They're different animals. Um, if if will I'm wondering if will competitive kids what will they want to grow up to become an esports athlete or a traditional sports athlete like in 20 years, I remember like the uh, the people I hung out with. I mean we were in a sports group. Our go our dream was to become a professional athlete, right? But now is again are those groups of kids are more groups of kids going to be want to become an esports athlete when they grow up? I think will be something interesting to look at. So let's look at the esports industry and how it's doing. I'm sure most of you guys listening to this probably think, oh, the the esports industry is booming. And in some ways it definitely is. There's a lot of money in esports. Um, when you look at prize pools, there's a tournament called the International, and the prize pool was thirty four million in twenty nineteen, according to uh just according to Wikipedia. Um in contrast, the master's prize pool was eleven point five million according to CBS, um, and that's in 2019. Obviously, the $34 million is not going to one person. Same with the Masters. The only event that I could find that I know makes more than $34 million is the US, the Tennis U.S. Open, where the prize pool is $50 million. So basically, in summary, the, the prize pools are very big in esports tournaments. It's insane. I mean, the top-earning esports player made almost $7 million in 2019. Absolutely insane. Um. In by November 2019, or in November 2019, according to Forbes, uh, this gaming lifestyle company, Phase Clan, I believe is pronounced, <laughs> had amassed 19 million social media followers across all of its media. The Dallas Cowboys, which are the most valuable traditional sports franchise, only had 7.2 million social followers. So, the the following seems to be there, and this is this is another stat you're going to hear all the time. More people watched League of Legends than the Super Bowl, um, which I'll get into this in a little bit. But viewerships can be viewership stats are not compared the same, are not measured the same in video games and traditional sports, as well as the fact that um, website Kotaku points this out is that Riot uh, Riot Games, who m- makes League of Legends, is self-reporting these numbers. But in traditional sports leagues, you don't rely on the NFL and NBA to tell you how many people watch their games. They, you rely on Nielsen to do that. A third-party company will do it. So by self-reporting, you can possibly inflate the numbers. Um, other, like actual, uh, other estimates, like according to Kotaku, think that 103 million people watched the Super Bowl and close, 99 million watched the League of Legends tournament. So it's close, but I don't think people don't think that the League of Legends tournament has beaten Super Bowl, um, Super Bowl views. Um, so we'll see. I think that esports definitely do seem to be like global brands. But uh, I'll go into a little bit about why the viewership numbers may be inflated. Anytime a browser refreshes, it counts as another view. This is Kotaku. Um, citing Kotaku there. Live streams can be like embedded into a gaming website. And it'll count as a view if you just like kind of scroll over it. So some of these views might not even be engaged humans, basically. But on traditional TV, Nielsen measures a view if you've only watched if you've watched for six minutes, at least six minutes. So people that are just scrolling through channels aren't going to be counted, um, right? Nielsen's starting to measure esports as well, but I see most articles reference this company called Newzu, and some people apparently think Newzu's numbers are inflated. So we'll, we'll see about that. But um, the the biggest viewership number I've seen where um, 
there's a big difference between the Super Bowl and like esports. Um, one estimate from the Visual Capitalist says that the NFL Super Bowl got 124 million viewers, and the League of Legends tournament got 58 million. So some people think it's the viewership is very far off, and some people think it's really close. I, I think I'm more inclined, from what I've seen, to think that the viewership is actually pretty close. Um, but it depends on the game. League of Legends is pretty big. It's a global brand. NFL, like American football is American football. It's, it's about America, really. I don't know if it gets that much exposure outside of North America. So um, esports are a little more of a global brand, I think. Um, let's look at like some of the cracks in the esports system. Um, basically, many esports teams actually fold. Like, there's a lot of money going around, but for esports teams, they're they're running on really tight margins, and a lot of them apparently are running on deficit on deficits according to sources obtained by Kotaku, a gaming magazine, which I'll cite a little bit more as well. Um, actually, multiple sources I read showed that the actual revenue coming into the esports industry is less than what experts had expected to get. Um, like, a, a, In fact, one league folded in, I believe, 2018 or 2019, and they reportedly owed uh, 15 teams a total of $200,000 each team. So... Some leagues are not doing very well in terms of the team. The individual athletes are doing well, and the publishers that make the game or distribute the game are doing really well. So it's not going around. The money's not going around completely equitably. And let's look at a, a couple reasons why um, esports and traditional sports are, are have key differences. I think for me, live traditional sports clearly wins in terms of live entertainment, like being there in person, uh, because for like NBA 2K. There's limitations of animating the human body. You know, I'm not. I don't want to watch NBA 2K over watching real people compete in basketball. Um, esports fans don't tend to spend very much on merchandise and in live events. Uh, on merch, the average esports fan spent five dollars on on merchandise and attending events. Compare that. Let's compare that to tra- traditional fans, according to CNBC. Um, of the people that attended a sporting event, um, they spent an average of $710. So that includes like tickets, transportation, food and drink. So $710 to $5. There's, a, there's still a lot of money in traditional sports, clearly. Um, esports can and have sold out of events like the Barclay, um, venues like the Barclays Center, which is 19,000 um, attendance. But I doubt it would sell out something like the Big House which has over 100,000 people. Like, there's no way an esports event live will sell that out. I do think, though, that, like, a Rocket League highlight reel is exciting. You know, you can't... Because you can't get that in real life, it's fantasy. To me, like, an imitation, such as Madden or NBA 2K, is not going to be... is not going to match the real product ever, you know? So I, I think the future of esports, or at least where the, the most growth the most growth will be, is in stuff that's fantasy, not imitating real sports. I think most people already think that. Because Matthew Ball, again, points this out, is that the NBA and the MLB and the NFL are designed to be fun to watch and not fun to play. Like, no one really cares about how fun the game is for the players. They're supposed to be professionals. It's their job. And it's designed to be good for exhibition. Where NBA 2K is designed to be fun to play. Video games are designed to be fun to play, not fun to watch. So that's where esports sort of runs into a problem. 
like because um, I'll get into it a little bit, but publishers that make the game are trying to make it fun for the players, not great for esports audiences. Another thing is that sports lean really heavily on tradition and like regional location. Esports don't have that. Video games constantly do updates. They're going to change the rules and competitive balance of the game where a professional sport more or less is going to stay the same. Um, let's think about a regional fan base in college football is obviously super important um, to that sport. Let's let's look at another example. I'm going to cite this the Dallas Cowboys as a good example between esports teams and traditional sports teams. The Dallas Cowboys made the most money last year in terms of revenue of any NFL team. They had the highest regular season ratings of any um, of any sporting event, and are the most valuable sports franchise in the world, according to Forbes. And they missed the playoffs last year, but because of their tradition, like they they still have that built-in established fan base. Um, by the way, Jerry Jones owns an esports team, so there's a lot of people trying to get into the business. Esports may never have a tradition since you you don't really stay like on a game for 80 years, like you're you're not. I don't think you're really seeing like Call of Duty, modern Call of Duty Four Modern Warfare tournaments, you know, or you're not going to see a Call of Duty Black Ops One tournament anymore. I, I know games like Fortnite have legs now where they they can continue for. Um, a couple more years than usual, but, and I know there's tournaments like Donkey Kong and Pac-Man still going on, but there's, those aren't mainstream. I, I just find it hard to believe that the t- tradition will ever take hold in esports because of how fast changing video games are. Um, and then it, here's another thing. If, if a traditional sport doesn't have like that traditional fan base, they can lean in on personality where esports has some problems with that as well. For example, the NBA is kind of like a fashion-forward league, um, and they are kind of—they're all about personalities because their players are so visible. They're not behind a face mask. They're not behind a net or a glass. Um, that's why—that's where they get their popularity. I think is from their the personalities that they have. Where esports could do this, but if people want personalities, they go to streamers, and streamers often command larger audiences than an entire esports tournament. So. That might there might be some sponsors might just think well there's way more money in just going to a streamer, because um, they can they can make you a lot of money because they get views. Um, and lastly, video games have a really high like learning curve to watch um, that I think traditional sports don't. I think you can more or less get the gist of in basketball like they're just trying to get the ball in the basket. Where in League of Legends, when I'm watching, it looks like a just a bunch of clicking and uh, and like. There's some mayhem going on, but it, it there's a lot of there's a learning curve to it. I think um, esports has some revenue problems in terms of how that money's shared. I've hinted at this, um, but there's a lot of people that think that teams are really overvalued in esports. Um, so the the team with the highest valuation, according to Forbes, the most valuable esports team is Cloud Nine, and they're valued at four hundred million dollars, but they only bring in twenty nine million dollars in revenue. So that's a 14 to 1 ratio. Let's compare that to the Dallas Cowboys. They made $950, $950 million in revenue and they're valued at $5 billion. So that's a five, roughly a 5 to 1 ratio. So there's the Cowboys, a traditional sports team with a 5 to 1 ratio, and the esports team with a 14 to 1 ratio. So basically that's telling you that people are placing too high of expectations on the esports industry a little too quickly, I think. 
let's look at um, how esports teams make revenue. They get it from merchandise and event tickets, which, as I've shown, esports fans don't really spend that much on that, to be honest. Uh, that, that was the $5 on average. They get uh, money from prize pools and winning tournaments. Um, that's why unsuccessful teams go bankrupt. Media rights. Um, for example, Twitch paid $90 million for exclusive rights for the Overwatch League, according to Kotaku, again. They get money from advertising revenue and a share of league revenue. But this is the thing, is that leagues, like, for example, the Activision League, um, first, when they when they get the revenue, first they recoup their own costs, and then they share the revenue 50-50. So if the, if the tournament somehow doesn't make its money back, the teams literally make no money, which is which is just crazy because the publishers have so much um, control over the game. Like to even be in the league, some teams have to pay sixty million dollars to the publisher, according to Kotaku. That's on the high end. And let's look at the reason why the the publisher can exert that much control is because in traditional sports, nobody owns the game of basketball, nobody owns the game of football. But with esports, a publisher literally owns the rights to, to a game. Um, so even like even the most controlled traditional sports leagues, according to Matthew Ball, don't have total control over their sport. Like that's how the XFL and CFL were formed. That Matthew Ball points out. Um, for example, in like Vancouver, someone can organize a flag football league that you need to pay to enter, and there there could be prize money at the end of it. But with, with video games, you rely on the publisher's game, the publisher's online services. You can't just operate, some random person can't operate a tournament without the permission of the publisher. And since you're relying on the publisher's online services, the the video game company is basically co-running the tournament for you, um, as Matthew Ball points out. So you, you can't have you can't have the sport without the, the team that owns the sport or without the company that owns the sport. That's why the the Activision Riot Games can exert so much control and take so much money. Um, esports don't have unions; they don't have collective bargaining agreements. Um, and and mostly, lastly, publishers see esports more as a marketing device for their games, and not like an actual revenue generating industry. They just want people to see. They would rather have the most people watching it than like an exclusive rights deal. This is an example that Matthew Ball uses. They would rather pay like they would rather receive fifty million dollars from Twitch, YouTube, and other um, streaming platforms than a hundred million dollars for only one of those platforms to stream it, because they just want the most people to see it. The video game company just wants the most people to see it, and hopefully buy their game, because they 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 just view it as them promoting the game that they've already made. Um, and let's not forget the fact that the the traditional sports like baseball and football, their industry is still going really well. <laughs> in 2018, viewers watched more than 1 trillion minutes of sports, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Um, the traditional sports industry is still growing in revenue by about 6% a year, according to Medium. Like sponsorship revenue was $17 billion. There's There's a ton of money in sports. Um, there's definitely cracks in the system. People are watching less live TV, but... Um, I think that traditional sports obviously is not going anywhere. Um, so I'll, I wanted to look at this because I I wonder if it's, is it a question of when esports will be a bigger industry or if they will ever be a bigger, bigger industry than traditional sports? Um, let me know what you think. Tweet at us at you thought media, Y O U thought media. Cause I, I, 
Some numbers point to the fact that esports is is inevitably going to be bigger than traditional sports. But then you look at other numbers and you're like, well, maybe it's not going to be profitable enough. So I'm interested to see what people think. Let me know. Um, another thing on a, on a personal note <laughs> that I was thinking about is it's hard to handle, for me, it's hard to handle losing in like a video game or a board game. I don't know if it's true for you guys listening, but I can easily, more easily handle being beat in a real life sport than in a video game. Because in a video game, if, if someone beats me and they start, you know, talking crap, it, it just drives me crazy. And because it, it's harder for me to recognize the excellence at that, at that sport, in quotations. Because they, they are excellent. If, if, you know, if they're really good, they're excellent at that thing. Um, I think for me and probably for a lot of people, they don't like feeling, they don't like being beat intellectually. Because, <laughs> you know, it feels disarming. Um, that's the same reason why people don't like losing an argument is it's an intellectual battle and not a physical battle. Um, so I wonder what people think about that as well. In terms of virtual sports that I do watch, I'm not an eSports fan, just putting it out there. I, I like video games. I really like video games, but I'm not an eSports fan. I think video games are for playing, not watching. Um, but I am watching Formula One racing, uh, virtual racing, um, it's a much better product than watching Madden because you can replicate machines way better than you can replicate humans. So the cars, sometimes if you just catch a glimpse of like a, of the F1 2019 game, it's like, whoa, is that a real car racing by? And then you're like, no, I'm, I'm just watching a virtual event. Um, cause the machine movement is just easier to replicate. Um, Kind of going off that, in terms of F1, Formula 1, I think they'll have a really easy time with viewership when it resumes. Uh, July 5th is when they're coming back. Crowd noise isn't really a factor in Formula 1. You're just listening to the machines, to the cars themselves, and the driver radios mostly. That's what you're listening to. Um, And the product is going to look really similar because of that, because you're not... It it won't look jarring that there's no no people there, I don't think. Um, So we'll see. Um, in, in the virtual races for Formula One, a lot of the young drivers are doing really well. So like Charles Leclerc, Alex Albon, and George Russell, they race for Ferrari, Red Bull, and Williams, respectively. Um, they're pretty much the people that are winning, the young drivers. So it'll be interesting to see if these drivers are going to have a slight advantage when they, when they come back after this. Um, it'll be a four-month break almost at that point. Because at the end of the day, you're... I think virtual sim racing comes closest to replicating the actual sport. Um, Cause again, you're controlling a machine, not a person like, like, you know, but playing on your controller is not even, is not replicating a real NBA experience at all. But driving behind a wheel, I, I these games are pretty realistic. Um, we'll see. Obviously it's not driving in, in a real car. You're not getting feedback uh, necessarily or vibration on like tires, but you're getting it through the steering wheel. So I, th- I think these these young drivers will have a slight advantage. It'll even itself out as the season goes on. But let's look at a couple instances of how, because virtual sports and video games have become so big, there are consequences to your actions in the virtual world um, for real life real life athletes. Um, so these stories are a little older, but I think they still like illustrate the point. We talked about this one on a podcast episode a little bit ago, but there was a Formula E driver. There was an incident um, with a Formula E driver named Daniel Apt. 
Um, so for, for context, Formula E is racing electric cars in real life. They look like F1 cars. Um, but they've been doing like a video game races because of the pandemic, obviously. And one of the drivers, a guy named Daniel Apt, driving for Audi, um, enlisted a professional sim racer to race in his place. Um, the sim driver wasn't paid. He just was in on this prank, basically. And these races, by the way, are not for like prize money or anything. They're purely for entertainment. So the driver, Daniel Apt, is thinking, well, I'm by getting the sim racer to drive for me, it's going to be more entertaining because it's going to be more competitive. Um, the virtual racer, he got third. Audi found out that um, it wasn't the real driver driving, and he was fired. Daniel Apt was fired from Audi. Um, he had been in Formula E since the inauguration of the series, too, so he was a longtime driver. Um, this is what Audi said about why they fired him. They said that we. They said that they tolerate mistakes, but the incidents that took place during the race at home challenge, sim racing series, were not a mistake, but a conscious decision to go against the rules, and then that's why they had to fire them. As App stated, he was like, it was a prank. The race, the races are for entertainment, not for like any real value. So I think, kind of going into some of the analysis, there must have been some underlying unease in this relationship, like. If Clay Thompson was um, playing in an NBA 2K tournament and he, and he had somebody play for him, he would get a fine maybe, but like the, the Warriors aren't parting ways with Clay Thompson over that. They're going to be like, okay, that was a silly mistake, but they can move on for that. So there must have been something underlying with that driver at Audi. But this the point is that athletes have like a 24-7 identity now. They Arguably, they always have, but it's it's even more visual and prevalent now um because these sports teams are businesses they want to minimize risk and an athlete is always representing their team um so you don't want like if you're a sports team you don't want your athlete going on a profanity-laden montage while they're streaming playing call of duty or harming others like that's one thing if you're harming others that's that's not good but as as aiden said in another episode this this case of the driver hiring a sim racer and cheating is i don't know it's in this case it's kind of harmless i I think (laughs) he's not really harming others it's it's not for anything it's for entertainment um it is cheating yes but i i don't know if it's if it warrants him getting fired over that um over consequences in a virtual race so like for example if, if that driver was hacking in a game of call of duty he is cheating but should he be fired for that like in in what setting are you, are you no longer representing your company? Like how far can that be extended? I know that analogy is is maybe a slippery slope because it's playing Call of Duty. It's not doing a racing activity, but um, people would still know him as the Formula E driver for Audi at that point. So who knows? Another instance. This is pretty old as well, but this was in April. Uh, NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace was driving in a another virtual iRacing event. And he rage quit because others were not taking the event seriously. Someone else crashed into him deliberately. So he's like, that's it. I, I, people aren't taking this seriously. I'm out. So then a real a real life sponsor and virtual sponsor, Blue Emu, um, they make joint and muscle cream. They pulled their sponsorship virtually. And also, I believe, in real life. Um, so in the in this NASCAR iRacing series, the company Blue Emu, Emu paid to have their name on Bubba's screen. It was even like on his car. 
So it was, it was a real advertisement, you know. And the sponsor, Blue Emu, feels that they should have got advertising for the whole race. But, I mean, in a real-life incident, you know, if someone crashed into Bubba, like, the car can't keep going on. So Bubba, Bubba's going for realism, you know. Um, kind of joking aside, it, it, it was on Fox. The race was on Fox, so it wasn't broadcasted for free. You know, like, they were they were trying to make money off of it. It was a lot more for-profit than, like, the Formula One series. Uh, the Formula One series is, is just streaming on YouTube, so it's it's free, you know. There's there's ads in it, but you don't need to pay to access it, um, to access it. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I just don't know. By rage quitting, you can lose real-life money is just shows what a how crazy the virtual world is and how it, how it really relates to to consequences in the real world. Um, we'll see, we'll see what other instances happen. Um, that's going to conclude the episode again. I would really like to know what you think about the style, of the episode about the substance. If you liked it, um, if you want to know about any of the sources I looked at, let me tweet at us again and let me know. Um, I'm glad you guys st- stick with me this long and, um, I'll see you guys on Wednesday for our normal episode. Thanks.